Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hello there, listeners. After over two years of recording and eight episodes, I am elated to announce that Enduro Bearings has agreed to become a supporter of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. This is a double win for you, the audience. You have the opportunity to demonstrate your support of the show by making on the website cycling.endurobearings.com and you get to save some dollars while you trick out your whip. Use the code COLBYPODCAST to receive a 35% discount on Bearings excellent products. That's COLBYPODCAST which is all lowercase and all one word. This includes the excellent XD15 ceramic bottom bracket, which is guaranteed for life. That you because, well, it's inanimate. Enduro also makes headsets, derailleur pulleys, as well as bearings for just about everything that rotates on a bicycle. So use your digits to make the keyboard mudras and head over to psych bearings.com and upgrade your favorite ride now and remember the proper number of bicycles is always n plus one so think ahead thanks for listening hello there space monkeys welcome to episode number 122 of cycling in alignment this is a discussion with my friend nathan haas we are going to title it destroying hyperbole and in this discussion, we attempt to destroy some hyperbole or hyperbola. I think hyperbola is the plural of hyperbole. I'm not really sure. I think I just made that up. And in doing so, we make a few mistakes. Well, specifically, I make one mistake in the pod. It's at the very end. It's in a discussion about Watts. And I realized this post-mortem. So I went back and listened to it and confirmed that I'd made a mistake. And rather than conceal it with delete buttons and editing or re-recording, I'm just going to let it be because I think it's actually pretty hilarious. You'll see why when you get to it. But in the process of listening to this podcast, I also had a few other realizations. So I'd like to discuss those now. The first is that Nathan and I are a couple potty mouths. The gratuitous use of the F-bomb in this podcast is pretty over the top and I'm a bit ashamed of that, actually. I'm all for verbose language, and I'm not opposed to naughty language per se, but there is a point of diminishing return, and I probably went past it in this episode. I'm not really sure why. We'd had a glass of wine, but it wasn't like a whole bottle. So I have no explanation for this other than I'm a Gemini, and different facets of my personality come out at different times. And apparently the facet that comes out when I'm talking to Nathan involves a bunch of F-bombs. So I apologize if that's distracting to my listeners. Again, I feel that language is an art and using proper words to express oneself is a skill. And when you resort to common denominator bottom feeder language repetitively, it just indicates a lack of creative use or understanding of your own ability to communicate. The second thing I noticed is really in the same category, and that is that around certain guests, in this case, 
Nathan, I tend to talk too much. And I would say I'm guilty of that in this pod as well. So I'm not trying to be self-critical and beat myself up here. I'm just observing what I see and being self-reflective about it. Hopefully that's not too distracting during the episode either, but I definitely at times need to learn to shut my mouth more often. Mouth closed, ears open. So I'm just witnessing that. Again, hopefully you find our conversation uh, has some utility for you or at least some entertainment value. I think Nathan has a lot of intelligent things to say and he's got a unique perspective. So I will trust that that is worth something to my audience. The real reason for this intro is that late in the pod, Nathan and I get into a discussion about the topic of Watts. And this is pretty funny, but we attempt to define a Watt and I actually make the mistake of trying to define a watt using the definition of what's really technically a calorie, which is pretty hilarious uh, because in theory, I ought to know better, like by a long ways. And my dad was an astrogeophysicist. So, you know, you'd think I could understand some basic terminology or basic definitions of scientific principles, but here we are. So, In order to set the record straight and help myself have a greater understanding, I decided to go do a bit of high-tech research, otherwise known as consult the almighty search engine. And now I'm going to read out the definitions of a calorie and a watt. These are things that everyone in our sport should know. So a calorie is a unit of energy that originated from the obsolete caloric theory of heat. This is from Wiki, by the way. For historical reasons, the two main definitions of calorie are in wide use. The large calorie, food calorie, dietary calorie, or kilogram calorie was originally defined as the amount of heat needed to raise the temperature of one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius, or one Kelvin. The implication there being that one Kelvin is the same as a Celsius, which is news to me. Kelvin's never made much sense to me. The small calorie or gram calorie was defined as the amount of heat needed to cause the same increase in one gram of water. Thus, one large calorie is equal to 1,000 small calories. So I suppose what that means is if you had a kilogram of water, which is probably roughly a gallon, more or less, and you wanted to heat it one degree, you would need a given amount of fire. And the amount of energy that that fire burned would be one calorie. I think that's sort of a practical way of thinking about what our definition is. It still doesn't necessarily make practical sense to me because... Well, I suppose that amount of energy is trapped in food and that's what we eat and then we burn that in our sense, in a sense, right? Am I thinking about that correctly? I'm sure there's someone out there who can educate me on this topic. I think I've got the concept down. And for me, this is what science is about, is having an actual understanding of what it means in the physical universe. I can read lots of science textbooks, textbooks, and have lots of words go through my head, but until I understand what it means in my own tangible life experience, it's sort of just gobbledygook. Next, let's consider the definition of a watt, specifically a unit of power. So the watt, according to, again, Wiki, is the unit of power or radiant flux in the international system of units equivalent to one joule per second, or one kilogram per meter squared per second cubed. It is used to quantify the rate of energy transfer. The Watt is named in honor of James Watt, who lived from 1736 to 1819, an 18th century Scottish inventor 
mechanical engineer and chemist, who improved the Newcomen engine with his own steam engine in 1776. Watt's invention was fundamental for the Industrial Revolution. When an object's velocity is held constant at 1 meter per second against a constant opposing force of 1 newton, the rate of which work is done is 1 watt. So, when an object's velocity is held constant 1 meter per second against a constant opposing force of 1 newton, the rate at which work is done is 1 watt. We can all identify with that because when we make more watts on the bike, we definitely feel like we're doing more work, right? So if an object's velocity is constant at one meter per second, so if we imagine a crank arm traveling at one meter per second, and the opposing force is one newton, the opposing force would be the force that we need to drive into the drivetrain of the bike. So it would be the force needed to move the chain, which would then, of course, turn the freewheel, which would then turn the wheel, which would then make... This is the way my brain thinks about it. That's probably incorrect. I have been accused of not being a scientist before. So really, I just wanted to go through the formality of reading those two definitions to prove to the entire world that I actually do know what the definition of a watt and a calorie is, because I read it on Wikipedia. And if that ain't proof, then I don't know what. But I am definitely going to leave our conversation in there about watts and the part where I misdefine it, because the point of the conversation is still made. And also, um, I look like a clown. And that's okay. It's all right to look like a clown once in a while. That's what I got, people. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And I do actually hope that you find some entertainment value from it, or perhaps even a bit of education. Nathan's a really smart guy. He's got an insane amount of experience in the sport of cycling, and I love and appreciate his input on my podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Pedal consciously. Over and out. Nathan, welcome. Welcome to, I, you're now once again my most popular guest because I'm pretty sure you've been on three times. We couldn't remember this last time we had this conversation. You've been on I three think it's four. three. I think this might be number four. I think this is number four. So, what's up? Yeah, man. How's it going? Good. Good. We're in Girona. Nathan and I are going to have a conversation that we're titling, what are we calling it? Well, it's a working title. It's not going to be the title that's written. Printed. Because iTunes will devour this. But yep. um, I, I was speaking with Colby for a while about how I feel like there's just, there's just enough things in your brain. And <clears throat> I think my brain can layer on some extra things onto that or at least poke you to get even more agitated. But... <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like we talk and we try to actually be too sensitive on certain topics, mm. which I'm sure we still will be. We'll, we'll probably try to come at everything with a global look, but, um, or a vision or understanding, or at least be sensitive to other sides. But yeah. I feel like sometimes we just need to say what the actual fuck yes. to certain things and call a few things out just for what they are. Uh, we've both been in cycling for long enough. You a lot longer. I mean, I mean, I was still in my dad's bag when you were probably, you know, <laughs> dropping watts in Athens. I don't know, but um, <laughs> not quite that old. You're not quite that young, but no, but I certainly wasn't in bike world when you were doing that. I didn't, I didn't know anything about cycling, but I've still been in it for quite a long time. And I've, I've sort of probably had a pretty of a pressure cooker mm. education, you know, doing it the way I did for so long and still doing it. Um, and there's always been a few things that 
have just been either expressed to me or around me that I've never quite agreed with or gelled with or vibed with and, and, and only through more considered thinking and, and time away from certain parts of the sport have I realized how wrong certain things were. Mm. Um, and also you've been in the same scenarios and, and you've always been someone that's encouraged me to be a critical thinker, um, which is good and healthy, um, sometimes distracting and makes, it can make you a worse athlete, right? <laughs> can also make you, um, it can create friction in your team environment with your teammates, with your directors, with your managers, even mechanics, because you stir the pot too much, especially in European world tour level cycling, right? And you're not being a good little soldier. You're not just marching forward. You're, you're asking questions and turning right. So totally. But then sometimes you end up being right. Um, you know, for, for, for one example for me, before we actually get stuck into any of the what the fucks, the, a funny one for me was always, you know, carbs are like the enemy during training and it's going to make you fat and everything. Mm. And, and for me, I was always like, why is it when every time I'm going, like I'm, I'm building my fitness, it was almost like the more carbs I put in all the time, the better, better it went, went and the skinnier I got. And then yep. next thing I'm at altitude camps where they're feeding us broccoli and a little bit of red meat and... You know, guys are literally sneaking down, like breaking out of their windows to go get a pizza downtown because they're like, <laughs> their like body is just like craving carbohydrate, and yeah. then we all go shit. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, you know, it's sort of those like those bullshit isms that you just like. It, it's just so nonsensical, mm. and I know that sometimes they have science to back these things up, and there's reasons for why they sort of like of course preach this stuff. Yeah, because otherwise there would be no reason to preach it or mm. just make these things up. Mm -hmm. um, but now everyone's like literally trying to get as many grams of carbohydrate per kilo in their body as they can at any single point in Which time. Which has its own problems, challenges, and ramifications. Right. Because it's sport. So why would you ever do anything? This is the problem, right? It's like extremes of the pendulum. Like it's either zero carbs and broccoli and steak or it's 180 grams an hour. Middle ground has no room. Right. So without getting... Sorry, I'm getting ahead. Before we jump into... <clears throat> well, I mean, we, we could probably talk two hours just on that, but I want to yeah. I, I call some things out. Um, and we haven't really set this podcast up with too many things specifically that we want to talk about. We've got our list here. We've got a, a small list on just like expressions and sayings in cycling that I have th always thought are just like yeah. garbage and hyperbole and, um, you know, just they also, be our so funny. <laughs> pod. Just, let's write this down. Destroying hyperbole. How's that? How do you like that, listeners? Do you like that more than what the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? <laughs> <clears throat> so I uh, frequently when I'm listening to a guest during a pod, I don't go into it with a title. I'm sort of waiting for the moment, the lightning bolt to hit when they say something that sort of encapsulates the pod for me. And uh, most of the time it works out. I Well, I mean, I like your pods. I don't. Thank you. Necessarily listen. Look at your titles all the time. I just cue <laughs> <Q> next. <laughs> you did get turned off by one of my titles recently, though. You told me. Actually, no, I did. I did. I saw something about bike fitting, and I thought, fucking another boring, another podcast about bike fitting. Oh, good bike um, fitting. But then you actually told me some stuff about it today, and I'm probably going to go back and listen. To That's the Gary Kirk episode. Um, yeah. So there it is. I don't remember what the title. I'm plugging is. your podcast in your own podcast. I am 
Is that weird? Is, is that stupid? You guys should like, listen to my podcast. That's like it's preaching. The best podcast ever. <laughs> it's preaching to the choir. <laughs> um, you've already been converted. Yeah. <laughs> have you? Have they? Maybe not though. They may not make it past this intro. Okay. So, what do you want to start? You want to start with our list, or you had a few other things you wanted to present? Also, you wanted to tell me about things that have been bugging the living shit out of you. Yeah. So, I mean, everything can be probably explained when our, with our podcast that they often start really bumbly like this and um, unlubricated um, but we get greasy as we go so <laughs> I'll throw I think that the first one that we'll talk about because it's like a little bit time sensitive is um, Garen Thomas Garen or Garen or Garen Thomas I I've been corrected on this by my viewers so I had to mention it but I, I think I've been saying it geraint, and then the European way to say it is geraint, and I figured out why. I don't like soft G's because I grew up in the United States. And you're and hard G. <laughs> <laughs> no, even worse. As a kid, we had this commercial for Frosted Flakes, and there was Tony the Tiger on Frosted Flakes, and he would literally, I can't believe I'm going to fucking do this on the podcast. He would go, they're great. <laughs> And that just irritates the shit out of me. I'll be direct. I'm all spiritual and do a lot of meditation stuff, but you can get my stuff too. My personal hell would be to be trapped in a room where they just play that commercial for <laughs> you're great. <laughs> Next time on the ride, so, I'm just going to be like, Colby, you're great. It has nothing to do with Geraint Thomas or Geraint Thomas. I'm sorry. I'm butchering the shit out of your name, dude. I, I sincerely apologize. Has nothing to do with you. It's me and my own childhood bullshit, which is also a theme to consider in your life. Actually, probably most of the time when someone's really pissed off at you, when you have a weird interaction with someone and they lose it, it's not you usually. Sometimes it is. Have you seen that thread? Are you the asshole? My wife reads this mm. on now. It's like it's on Reddit or so, I don't know what where it's it's probably in a bunch of places. But it's like people write in and they're like they have this whole story. They're like. My boyfriend did this and he did that and I did this and that. And am I the asshole? Cause I did this. And she actually loves it because it really, then you get everybody's opinion. This is like thought experiments. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. And it's for people who are actually have lost their, their North star and their moral compass in their life, or they've gotten misdirected. Like they're trying to do the right thing, but then they can't figure out if they did the right thing and they get to hear. And she read one the other day about a woman who was actually an abusive in an abusive relationship. But she didn't, she wrote in, am I the asshole because, and by that point she was 11 steps into a quite abusive relationship. And it was quite powerful because then she got to hear the feedback of all the audience and she realized how many years the cycle had been going for. And she was able to extricate herself and get to safety and get rid of this guy. They'd been married for nine months or something. He'd lost an honor over something really little. It was actually about her not wanting to eat a food. It was super benign. I can't remember what it was. It was like tomatoes or something. And she was like, I just don't like tomatoes. And he lost an honor. He was like, I'm sick of you being a child. Just eat the fucking tomato. And she was like, am I the asshole? And everyone was like, um, no, it sounds really controlling. And then it went on and on. And she kept updating every few months and it wasn't tomatoes. It was something else. But the point is that the audience basically sort of illuminated for her how abusive the relationship was. This is way off topic, but. Well, I guess, I guess the next question here is, am I going to be the asshole for bringing this up? <laughs> Let's find uh, out. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll preface by saying I'm, I have a huge amount of respect for 
G, we'll call him G. We'll we can, call him G. We can both agree on G. Yes. Um, uh, so much of what he's done in the sport is awesome, and he's also called out a lot of bullshit, um, which I appreciate mm. um, a lot because I think a lot of like the big leaders in cycling don't do that enough. Um, on on many on many values, I think um, you know uh, his team were being called out for you know missing a tactic or missing a moment in the race or a lack of performance and and g called it out and was like you know there's a lot of things that that person did in their career that i don't do in mine and that's that's doping and it's sort of like you know he's quite ballsy in the way he talks but i, I feel mm -hmm. as if if he also listened to this he would also appreciate that we're also calling some bullshit out as well mm -hmm. um but it's not specifically about g it's actually about a concept in general that uh he's just sort of lemming scapegoat Right. And, yeah. and, and G, if you're hearing this, sorry, dude, it's not about you. It's actually about um, what you were saying, which is a common thing in cycling, which you will agree to, mm -hmm. um, is that he came out and he said recently that he, in the last 14 days in his off season, spent 12 of them drunk. And then, you know, there was a lot of conversation about how, you know, he needs to have his off switch and this is how he sort of, you know, gets off. Yeah. Or at least is the gas De decompresses. Decompresses. Yeah. Um, which, which made me think, um, about many things. And, you know, a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, that's awesome. You know, like, it's so nice to see that our heroes also are humans too and blah, 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 blah. But, mm. um, I think one of the things that I, I got thinking is every one of our choices in life has a repercussion. Everything that we do has unintended pressures on our life. When you become one of the world's most famous athletes, you might not have chosen this, but this is where you are, is that you are actually a role model. You're under a lens. You are under a lens. And while some people celebrated this honesty and um, some people might have even suggested that this humanizes him, um, this, this is also a writer who I don't believe needs any more humanizing. I would agree. He's, he's already yeah. got this amazing podcast with Luke Rowe, like the What's Occurring, where they really get stuck into some things that you're like, whoa, I'm... Surprised your team hasn't called you up to like shut that one down yet. Mm -hmm. um, and he's written the book, you know, Cycling According to G. Mm. But, but this whole thing that came to me was like, that's alcohol abuse. And this is somebody who is swinging the pendulum so far in the year that he needs to swing the pendulum so far the other way in two weeks. Um, I'm also going to be the first to admit that there's been off season that I've done that. Um, you know, Colby has been my coach for all of the years of my career. I'm, I'm not coached anymore, but when I was coached, it was always through Colby. Um, and there were some off seasons where Colby actually had to call me out and be like, Nathan, like always answer honestly. Um, and we had a lovely relationship in that I never felt embarrassed to answer honestly. It was like, how many nights were you drinking and how many nights were you not drinking? And there were some years that the drinking was way way more than the not drinking and then he sort of asked me well nathan is that actually recovering mm. you know and then you'd point out to me that you know there's 52 weeks in the year if we're doing three maybe four of them off the bike mm -hmm. that means there's 48 weeks of the year that you are in training which is like stress on the body so if if we're giving ourselves such limited amount of rest mm. why the fuck are we yeah. spending them stressing your body in a completely different way like mm -hmm. it's still a stress it's still a different type of toxin and 
like maybe we actually need to talk about some like bigger issues as to why you need to mm -hmm. essentially put a band-aid on some issues or like hide from things or cover pain mm. um so i I'll, I'll let you jump into what what you think on that but for me when someone comes out and actually says that to me it almost sounded like a cry for help mm. and maybe it's a reflection of like why cycling, I actually think at a pro level is actually so bad for the human mm. psyche, for the spirit, for the body, for the mind, that somebody needs to feel as if they have to get all of their fun done in mm. three weeks because the rest of the year is not fun. It's not fun. Yeah. <clears throat> That's interesting. I mean, I say that whilst having a glass of wine. Well, I was just about to say, like, I mean, let's remember, like, like straight up, alcohol is poison. It's poison to your body. Don't fool yourself. Don't get stuck in some paradigm where you think that uh, there's enough antioxidants in this red wine to justify its consumption. Like you're poisoning yourself every time you drink alcohol. No question. So that said, bottoms up, <laughs> but we're also here to not to live life, to have an experience. That's what we're here to do. We're not here to be monks, right? So you take part of part of that choice is to take adult responsibility for your choices when you do decide to drink alcohol like you're going to do it in a certain way you're going to have a relationship with alcohol just like you have a relationship with everything else and the more extreme your relationship is with anything the more likely it is you'll find health challenge from that relationship or or i don't even say health challenge you'll just find challenge in general you can think about it the the harder the pendulum swings the more out of balance you become the more likely it is that you'll have some consequence that really causes you yeah, a moment of challenge in your life, whatever that may be, you know, it can be with almost anything. Some substances or some choice paths have a, a smaller swing to the pendulum before you'll hit extreme hardship. Like easy examples are, you know, meth, cocaine, um, for example, like meth, even a tiny little swing of that pendulum and you'll be in deep shit, right? Um, other stuff like breathing, for example, you have a pretty large swing on that. But if you did four hours of breath work every day, you probably would screw yourself up in some way, right? I don't know how, but you would. So, and you're <laughs> yeah, for example, or you break a rib or something. I don't know. Or you pass out and hit your head and end up in the hospital with a concussion. Um, uh, conversely, if you chose not to breathe at all, would be the other side of that pendulum, also problematic. <laughs> so we have, uh, well, okay, to take that to a more realistic example, if you got really hung up on the idea of holding your breath a lot during breath work, a lot, eventually you would cause yourself some sort of problem. You'd probably pass out and end up in the hospital or cause yourself some, you'd lose some brain cells, right? So the same principle applies across all concepts. And so we have to think about the relationship and, and we have to give G or anyone else who's a professional athlete, myself and yourself as former professional athletes included, um, you being really more the archetype of a real professional athlete, me being sort of a United States professional athlete. But the point being is that anytime you do anything to that level, which is probably uh, the top 1% of the athletes of the world, or maybe even a slimmer margin, and you achieve at that level, by definition, that type of quest is going to be myopic. It's going to be extremely uh, singular in focus. And that means it's going to come at the exclusion of other things, including health choices that are supportive of global health, right? It has to. Uh, so we make that that choice knowing that we are we're sacrificing other things whatever those things are our health in the short term potentially our health in the long term time with family 
the ability to get your taxes done on time, the ability to have a cleaner kitchen floor, the ability to pet your dog more, or if you're a dad or whatever, to spend more time with your kid. I mean, we, there are all these things that go out the window when you become a professional athlete. So in that choice to accomplish this goal, really what you're doing in theory is you're putting other parts of your life on hold and you're hoping those don't get too out of balance while you do that. You're managing that in the off season. But here's the problem is athleticism cultivates a personality uh, or, well, I don't know if it cultivates a personality, but probably that personality is drawn to it in the beginning, but then it, it continues to grow that personality. So I guess you could say it cultivates a behavior trend towards, ex towards extremes, right? I mean, any professional endeavor in athletics is very extreme. Here's where I think what we're saying, the, there are two big problems with what I have with G's whole thing about how he went on a bender and did a social media post about it. One is that he's showing us that he swings his pendulum to one extreme to accomplish his athletic goals, to try to win grand tours and all the other races he's trying to do. And that is inspirational to people. It's admirable, admirable, admirable to people. Um, it sets a path for younger riders. It sets an example. It, it um, does all the things that the archetype of a sportsman does. And those are arguably good things in most cases. However, when he goes to the extreme of the other side of a path during his 14 days of offseason, and he spends 13 of them completely shit-faced, he's swinging the pendulum in an extreme when really the, the thing that was out of balance is that the pendulum went to an extreme for nine and a half or 10 or 11 months of his year. So he needs to come back to center for those two weeks, not swing it the other way and destroy his healthy. And that's really the point I was trying to teach, guide you in when we had the same conversation, right? That's problem number one is that his pendulum is just going from one extreme to the other. And this is why professional athletes have such a hard time with retirement, right? Because they go into normal life and get a desk job or whatever. And they're just like, what the fuck is this? I can't deal with this. There's nothing extreme about this life. So then they end up gambling Cipollini and yeah, doing Coke and smacking, smacking people around because he's got this extreme characteristic in his behavior, right? Because he cultivated it for years. I mean, maybe he had that already in his, in his path, but cycling certainly didn't, didn't calm that down. So that's the first problem. But the second problem I have, the bigger one, arguably, is that I don't know how many friggin' Instagram followers or Twitter followers or whatever Facebook fans G has, but it is a shit ton. And he is, by definition, an influencer. And he has ripples. His behavior and his choices have ripples in this pond. And there are 14-year-old young bike racers, men and women, boys and girls, arguably, who are looking at his account going, wow, this is what it means to be a professional athlete. You get to make a shit ton of money and <clears throat> win really cool races and get all these cool watches and all this blingy stuff. And then you get smashed for 13 out of 14 days in your offseason. And I'm 100% sure that he didn't think about those hyper ramifications or ripples when he made that post because... Right, and, and we know that like... He wouldn't have the things that sports like, people do affect how young people do things. I mean, like, you know, absolutely. look at the tobacco industry. They knew it, right? right. And, and you look at right. baseball, like, you know, people using dip, like, you know, this like oral yeah. tobacco spitting into bottles. And then all of a sudden they had like a candy version of that. And, you know, kids do that because they want to feel the part, right? It's like putting on the uniform. Yeah. And what scares me, and it's, it's certainly not about what G's doing in his own time. He's, he's allowed to do that. 
But posting is a different but, story. But posting about it, yeah, I actually felt was really irresponsible. Yeah, um, and and maybe it humanizes him to a certain extent, but it also kind of like stupefies yeah. him in, in in my perspective because. But there's so many ways to humanize yourself that don't involve that. One hundred percent. Like you know, he could be like saying, "I spent thirteen out of the last fourteen days with my wife and kids." Yes. And saying, you know, I'm going out on a date with my wife and we had a, we opened a beautiful bottle of champagne, mm -hmm. celebrated the sacrifice and the hard work in mm -hmm. our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying he doesn't do that because I know he's a great dad. I know he's a great partner because he's actually a great person. But again, this is not about G. This is about something that athletes need to think about when yeah. they're now in this new world of social media is mm -hmm. that what they're actually putting out there can be dangerous and it can have dangerous ramifications because behaviors in people's lives start early. And if people start thinking that this is what you do in an off season, mm. a lot of athletes, even amateur athletes have off seasons and they treat it. They call it the offy, you know, this is what we do in the offy. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's easy for me to say now that I'm not in this sort of world tour environment. And I think that you can have balance and, you know, a part of gravel racing, for many people is having the beer after the race and sort of enjoying that. Sure. And, and this is sort of my question is like, and this is maybe an ethereal question. Maybe it can be answered. Maybe it can't be answered. It could mm. be just rhetorical here, but you know, if G let himself or was honest about what he did during those 11 months, like does he have some alcohol in those months or is he going like full cold mm. Turkey for that entire time? Mm. And then he needs to have this, like, this is bender. <clears throat> this is like the Sean Kelly, paradigm right like he used to talk about how he didn't eat chocolate or touch alcohol or have sex even when he was home for like 11 months a year and they would the inference from his book was that he went home and got laid and ate chocolate for a month and didn't ride his bike and that's the very old school way of thinking it's very bookended it's very zip coded right correct sorry to interrupt there yeah i mean I'm, but it's exactly sort of what i'm trying to say is like mm -hmm. I'm certainly not saying that I think G could have had a better career because his career has been fucking mental. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if I'd had 10% of his career, I would, be, <laughs> I would be stoked, right? But um, the question is, would, have, would injecting a little bit more of the balance into, the, into that maybe have benefited the career? Or does he need to go full cold turkey and then go wild like this? Mm. That's, that's up to him. I don't, I don't know. Mm. Um, but where I take a what the fuck attitude is, why the hell would you go and tell the world this? Mm. Because to me, it doesn't make you more human. It actually makes you look more broken and that the sport has mm. actually been bad for you on an emotional scale, right? That it takes so much from that you much that release. you have to go yeah. and self-medicate for two yep. weeks yeah. um, and then, you know, have a laugh about it afterwards. But I think, um, I think it's really something that, athletes need to take into account or anyone that is a bit of a celebrity is that mm. we, we do have an impact on younger people and older people on any, well. on everyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that like abusing substances is a really serious fucking thing. Like it's a very yeah. serious thing that we need to actually talk about in a responsible way. And it's not to say that substances don't belong in life. We certainly can enjoy and have a good relationship with alcohol. Um, some, you know, yeah. some people can, or in, in some cases, you know, in certain states in America think that, you know, <laughs> marijuana is fine. Right. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I don't, I don't dabble in that world, but, um, I think 
you know, healthy conversation about having healthy relationships with alcohol or what you do in your off season or the more extreme things in your life. Mm. I think, I think that's where it's smart. And, you know, same thing goes for when someone goes in a car and films themselves going way over the speed limit in a sports car. It's like, yeah, you know, that's also kind of stupid, right? It's like, it's showing mm. to me, there's like an immaturity to certain things that you can do on the internet. And, um, I, I try to keep everything that I do online with a certain gaze of saying, you know, if I was sitting behind me, would I want my kids to watch this, to watch this? That's a great litmus test. Like imagine what happens when your kids watch this video, how do they react? Does that change your behavior? And it shouldn't, but it might because you're considering the lens or your grandma, if you don't have kids, like your loving grandma or whatever, pick the equivalent person in your life who played that role, that loving role. Like, would they approve of this? Because you're putting it on the internet, so there's a chance that that a grandma will see that and a small child will see that. The other thing I'll add is, I think there's, well, there are two things I want to add. One is that there's a certain type of person who will um, make a comment about how G expressing, sharing this 13 out of 14 days of, of drunkenness kind of makes it makes him seem more human. And they are fueled by that because they're looking at themselves through the eyes of judgment in their own lives. And they see that at times they're trying and then they fail, they fall off the horse. And so what they like about this type of post is that it shows them that even the mighty G is still fallible and capable of falling off the horse. And this is, I think, unfortunate. It's sad logic on both sides because first off, if you're looking at yourself with that judgmental perspective of you're doing it wrong or you, you most of the time you do okay, but then you fall off the horse. And when you do, you berate yourself internally. That's your own internal junk that needs to be cleaned out. That's your own voice, voice of judgment that needs to be expunged from your system. That's not. And so when we see a superstar also fall off the horse and then we feel like, yeah, they're on our team. They're human too. You see, this is not, this is incorrect logic because it's fueling a side of yourself, the self-critic, that really needs to be assassinated in your own mind. This is not the way to walk through the world. We need to witness our internal critic and then distance from it and then eventually learn to turn it off, learn to have a mind that can expunge those types of thoughts. This is, these are not constructive ways to walk through the world. If you're berating yourself constantly, if you're calling yourself a piece of shit or you're yelling at yourself when you have too many drinks or you wake up the next day and you realize you ate a whole pie or whatever you did, whatever your thing is. Uh, this is, this type of thinking is, it's a type of emotional relationship with the self that's very unhealthy and it can cultivate challenge down the road, right? And also additionally can come out in unexpected moments because this is like a simmering pot inside you. So, I want to bring attention to that for people who are thinking about that type of logic. The other thing I'll mention that I think is really important is while it's true that someone who's a sports star who has however many hundreds of thousands of followers or million followers has an enormous ripple effect, that doesn't mean that because you have 12 Instagram followers, you're off the hook because you also have a ripple. So think about this. 
I'm sure that all of us can imagine this example where we got up and had a perfectly normal day, an average day, and we did whatever we do in the morning. We took a shower and brushed our teeth and had breakfast. Then we walked downstairs and we go out into the world. And in on day one, we see a little old lady who says, hello, how are you today? And you get to stop and pet her dog and she's super sweet and you have a 34 second conversation that's just about happy flowers and roses and clouds in the sky. And the rest of your day, you kind of have a little bit of a half smile because this grandma was just so sweet to you, right? And her little dog was nice and licked her hand or whatever happy experience happened, right? And then on day two, you go downstairs and you have that moment where someone loses it on you because you they think you're stealing their parking spot or whatever happens, right? They think that you cut them off in traffic or you um, are riding your bike down the street and someone just hates cyclists. And this happened to me the other day. We were riding our bike through a neighborhood and a woman just started cursing at us for being cyclists, literally just started yelling at us, throwing stones and knives because, uh, you know, metaphorically, because she hated cyclists out of the blue. Just And we saw her two more times as we were trying to navigate through this neighborhood to get to a coffee shop. And she eat three times in a row. She was like, by the end of it, she was basically trying to fight us. She was like, you got a fucking problem? And I'm just looking at her going, Clearly, I'm not the one with the problem. Like, I rode past you and you started cursing at us. So that woman had negative waves. Grandma with the small dog, the happy dog, had positive waves. It has nothing to do, on the one hand, with how many Instagram followers you have or how popular you are or what a superstar you are. Like, you're still on the hook. Everything you do has ripples on this playground. And by this playground, I mean on this planet. So don't underestimate the impact you have to just say hi to someone and have a positive effect. Just be nice, right? And if you go get smashed for 12 days in a row and go on a bender, certainly don't tell 12-year-old kids about it. That'd be my advice. Right? I think, I think we can close the book on, yeah. on this point. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I agree. I think... Um, I think something that I always take away when I listen to your pod is in the intro, it's actually cycling in right relation to your life. Um, and, and I think that one of the things that athletes in any sport are actually advocating is to do their activity because mm -hmm. it's a good thing for you to do. And, you know, I certainly see cycling as a mental health machine, as a social machine, as a fitness machine, as a mm -hmm. soul searching um, device uh, and one of the things that you certainly don't want to have happen is that people start thinking that this can also break athletes and make them mm. need to have um, you know these benders and, and yeah to, to the point that it is that we should always be living by example and when we have the responsibility of being a professional athlete because it is it's not a God-given right. We've, we've earned the mm. place to be a professional athlete, but that earning also has earned you certain responsibilities, yeah. which is to show people how to live in right relationship to their own life with the sport within that. Um, that being said, um, I think it's, uh, it is important also that athletes are allowed to be human. Sure. But, um, in, in this particular case, I think it was just the wrong message to actually portray uh, 
you know, or, or, or more human side could have been actually, I, I found myself, um, you know, drinking too much this off season. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I want to address this as something that, you know, I've struggled with that other people struggle with. And instead of turning into something to celebrate, a badge of honor, we can actually turn it into something that we can all yeah. learn from yeah. and be aware of that we yeah. all have these vulnerabilities. Even the best cyclist in the world yeah. has certain spiritual and emotional and physical vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's like, be like Spider-Man. With great challenge comes great responsibility. That being said, I love G. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's always any day of the week. If you wanted to have a beer with me, I'd, I'd do that. But <laughs> I certainly wouldn't let that be in the off scene anymore. <laughs> I don't want to enable him. Um, you know, and, another point um, that I think this, this can actually sort of lead into the next, the next thing. Um, mm -hmm. As athletes, and I don't think an athlete is just a professional athlete. I actually think your mindset is athletic or it's not. If you're striving to just be better, I, I find that to call, I, I call that the athletic mindset. Mm -hmm. If you want to do something tomorrow better than you did today, that's sort of using that neuroplasticity to actually say, hey, how can I evolve? How can I adapt? How can I keep striving to be better? Mm. Um, but I think the first, the first thing that needs to happen to have an athletic mindset, to be able to call yourself an athlete, doesn't need to be a physical um, type of athlete. I, I genuinely think that athletes can be just athletically minded. You might disagree. Um, but I think the first thing, it needs to be like accountability, right? Mm. You need to be accountable for your own shit. Mm. And, and if you're a real athlete in my mind, you, you don't blame other people for things that you could have had control of yourself. There are things that happen outside of your control and that's just, that's mm. just sort of bad luck. But um, one of the recent things that kind of just like made my mind like twist and turn into a thousand, like I basically had like pretzel brain was just like, was Chris Froome coming out saying that his bike, he's just found that his bike was two centimeters yeah. too low compared to the, to the bike that he used to win the Tour de France. His saddle, on, right? His yeah. saddle height. Yeah. Um, and, and I just take so much issue with that. So I, for me, one of the, he, he's an athlete that a lot of people probably didn't think took everything so seriously and was so dialed because mm. he was so laid back was Ryder Hegedal. Mm -hmm. But Ryder Hegedal before every major race would spend an entire day at the service course checking his own bikes. Mm. He would be measuring them, taking them out on the street, making sure even on his like third spare bike, the, the odds that you'd ever use the third spare bike is so low. Well, and we have to explain this, right? We have to qualify this. Like when you, when you are named the tour team, you get new bikes for the tour. So what we're saying is Ryder went to the, the length to go to the service course before the bikes were transported to the start of the tour, wherever that, whatever random country that was in when they started doing that. And he would make sure that it was all dialed because ultimately the mechanic's job is to replicate their measurements they have for Ryder in their database on all of his bikes, but humans make errors, right? Mistakes are possible, of course. So you're just saying he took responsibility for that into his own hand. I just want to qualify that because people may not know that. Sure. Yeah, before Grand Tour, you get, you get on a, not every Grand Tour, but certainly before the Tour. You, you get, get you tend to get three new road bikes, yeah. two time trial bikes. Right. Um, and Ryder would have a little book and he'd know all his measurements. Yeah. And he would sit there for an entire day getting the bike on rollers and then also riding them on the road to even just make sure that small details like the bar tape was wrapped the way he liked his hands to mm. feel it. 
Yeah. His hoods were exactly tilted in the way that he wanted, making sure that they were exactly level on everything. Mm -hmm. and, and that's an athlete being accountable because you can get on your spare bike and then be cranky that it was in the wrong position and have a sore knee and that exacerbates into the second week to a knee injury in the Tour de France. Like, yeah. My bike measurement was wrong, but it's like, mm -hmm. you, you can check those things. And you don't also have to walk around with a book. You can also have staff or people in your like support network that can help you with that stuff. But you also have to check up on them, right? So like all of a sudden his new team thought they'd done the measurement right and then that became his measurement across all the years and he just thought that that was what it was and yeah you know maybe he sits so far off the princess scale that we talk about the princess scale being that if i feel one millimeter different in my bike i feel like the whole thing is wrong mm -hmm. where some people can literally be centimeters off and not realize two two specifically in Ferb's case yeah um <laughs> yeah, two centimeters specifically yeah. right it's quite a bit um in case you don't know two centimeters is 20 millimeters and an inch is 25.4 millimeters so it's a good way towards an inch. That's a fair bit. That's Most a couple, that's a couple of fingers. Most people would notice that their saddle was almost an inch too low right away. But I mean, if you took three weeks off the bike and got on, maybe not, but you would assume you would figure it out anyway. Right. Um, but for example, I, I'm a pretty disorganized person. Um, so when I would get a new bike, I would <laughs> message Colby and say, Colby, could you email me through my bike measurements again? <laughs> Yeah. And what we'd do is after we'd done a bike fit, Colby would go through with all of his little gadgets and take millimeter, mm -hmm. um, you know, angular measurements, everything. And we would know exactly where my bike needs to be so that I could on the ground then actually use that as a cross-reference and I would be checking. Mm -hmm. And I learned that from Hegedal to check. And um, for, for me, it's just one of those things where it's a little bit of a what the fuck moment again. Mm -hmm. Like, are you fucking kidding me? How could yeah. you be like... Whether or not that has affected your performance now compared to what it was, because you know, with with Froome, I, um, I again, I have a lot of love and respect for him, and I love his eternal optimism that he mm -hmm. can return back to his prior form and condition. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, if it actually is the case that the two centimeters has been affecting his performance, mm. for me, that's just like that's so on him. <laughs> You know, that's so not on the team. The team has made a mistake. But by me, that is just so on yeah. Chris Froome for making that mistake. And you yeah. can't blame anyone else for making a mistake that you should have been checking up on. I agree. The, the end responsibility falls on the athlete to make sure their equipment is dialed, independent of how many layers of professional checks and balances you have above you to try to get your shit right. Um, I would replace the word athlete with adult in your state. <laughs> well, we start with A. Like, yeah, being an adult is about taking responsibility for your decisions. That's, that's really what it is. Uh, when you go on a two-week bender as an adult, you understand, and you say that Turing gained like five kilos or something insane, or was it that much? I don't know. I don't want to be misquoted, but it was some, I, I heard someone Same saying where I read it was like six kilos in two weeks. I mean, he probably, a lot of that was getting puffed up and inflamed from all the drinking and his liver was stressed out and whatever but and so there's confounding variables there right but the point being is that as an adult we take responsibility for our choices that's part of what being an adult is and as a child when you're expressing the archetype of a child what do children do they blame other people for their problems when you step into the the adult phase of your life the warrior phase of your we'll say in a, a four phase 
evolution and relationship with sport. Uh, being the warrior is about conquering all the things, right? It's about winning races and unturning all the stones, uh, going to the top of the mountains, winning the races, getting the trophy, kissing the girl, etc. That's that's the warrior phase. When you regress to the child phase, the child is the child is dependent upon other people. The child is asking for responsibility, but they also can't take responsibility for their own actions. So when things go wrong, the child blames someone else or sits on the floor and cries. And I hate to say it, but that's kind of what Chris is doing here. Reading between the lines, I mean, I don't know Chris Broome. I don't presume to know what's going on in his head, but reading between the lines and what I do know about him in the public sphere, sounds like he signed a quite lucrative contract for quite a while. And now he's probably realizing he's not able to fulfill that contract in a way that is congruent with what he would like to do. And that's leading to some friction in, in between what he can do and when he's presenting to the physical world, this is what Hume would call the, no, sorry, this is what Ken Wilber would call the story gap, right? It's this internal story you tell yourself about who you are versus who you present to the world. And the greater that gap is, the more friction we have with ourselves, right? So if you tell yourself, I'm going to win the tour this year or whatever your thing is, and then you're not even remotely close. So it's a stressful situation, right? Um, and that's without someone on your back paying you to do that exactly well you're yeah. telling that yeah. person that you... and i don't envy his position i mean chris room is in a hard position right now like he's he's made some choices by signing that contract he made some hard choices by being by you know whoever it was that was responsible for offering them that contract also made a pretty big gamble really considering what he'd been through and what we'd seen from him i'm not I'm not qualified to say whether it was a good investment or a bad investment or a good gamble or a bad gamble, but now we're seeing how it's turning out. He's got, I think, two years left on that contract or something. I don't know, but so we'll see how it goes. And I, you know, I wish mo him the best. Mo money, mo problems. Mo money, mo problems, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But ultimately, we have to take responsibility. We have to be accountable for our choices and our fuck ups. And it sounds like I interpret this as him not quite doing that. He's pointing the finger. He's trying to pass the blame a little bit. And the, and the reason he's probably doing that is the friction that he's feeling over this outcome, this story gap. That'd be my interpretation. Yeah, I, I can resonate with the story. I, I've been there myself in my career as well. Um, you know, so, sometimes... Almost any athletic career will get you there. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think part of being a good athlete is actually being deluded. Um, yep. Yeah, I, wrong. I still wrong. I, I still think... Um, you know, he's, he's one of my best friends in cycling. Uh, something that I could never quite get over was Dan Martin's self-belief. Mm. Um, for those that don't know Dan Martin um, or do know Dan Martin, he, you know, he won a lot of monuments. He won Grand Tour stages in every Grand Tour. He was one of the best cyclists of his generation. Um, probably a little bit, I think, uh, probably wasn't spoken about enough because there were some other like one in a generation athletes coming in at the same time off seems to be like 10 once in a generation athletes every year but mm. um something that would be incredible about dan would he'd, he'd have this like shocking day on the bike and then be like oh, i don't know i just this was the problem or you know like i didn't keep my chest warm enough or you know this or that or you know i took the wrong gel at the wrong time mm. i'm gonna win tomorrow and, and you'd be like talking about a story gap be like win tomorrow from what you did today that's impossible mm -hmm. but then dan's like self belief he didn't win then he'd go day. do it and for me i was actually inspired by that mm -hmm. delusion mm -hmm. because 
nothing could get in Dan's way. Mm. It, it was like if he could get rid of every interruption, he was the best on the day. And he did that. And then I tried doing that. And then occasionally that worked a little bit, mm. you know, or like occasionally that self-belief or that delusion turned into what felt like a genuine self-belief. So it was like I was living in an illusion mm-hmm. and then I'd pull it off and then all of a sudden I'd like be slapped by reality again and be like, hang on, that's not how I think. Mm. Or, you know, I'm, I'm way too realistic or I see the world for actually how it is, not how I want it. You know, sort of the Don Quixote effect mm. being wiped off my face, you know, I'm back to seeing the world as it is, mm. not how I want it to be. Um, so Dan taught me something that to be a good athlete, like there's something that's similar in most of them is actually this high level of delusion. <laughs> um, but that works when things are on the up. <laughs> that works when the trajectory is moving forward. But when things are going down, delusion can be something that can break your heart. And there's yeah. only so much failure within delusion until your soul gets ripped into shreds. And yeah. all of the people around you that you've also spoken about this narrative that I'm going to be able to do this, or I'm going to be able to do that. They stop believing you. You stop believing in yourself. And then all of a sudden, your actual view on yourself becomes pretty low. And that's when yeah. that's when I see a lot of writers, you know, people say, oh, they're head cracked. But um, I actually feel it's more that they're like soul cracked. <laughs> you know, the head... The head is not what people think of it in in, in sporting world. I, mm. I don't think you know people are like oh you know he's got to get his head right. It's like well, I feel like there's actually a lot more layers to than just getting your head right. It's actually saying, I think you actually need to wake up and like fall in love with yourself again because a lot of the time, athletes can have a lot of self hate or they're always in you know we've spoken about this many times but they're in comparative mindset or they're. Yeah. They're chasing a ghost. I chased a ghost for many years in my career, which is I've just got to get back to this level. I've just got to, it's mm-hmm. like, well, maybe I'm just different now. Or maybe the level's different. Or like, why am I chasing that race again? Maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Maybe I need to mm-hmm. find my self-love and my self-belief and not let it be a deluded belief, but actually try to foster some true belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think when you start fostering true belief, you actually start being more accountable for your small things, mm-hmm. like your saddle height. And knowing that, yep. hey, if my saddle height is wrong, that's totally on me. Yeah. You know, if I take a gel at the wrong time, that's me. I should know better by 10 years into my career. Yeah. Than not to yeah. jump, dump three gels at the bottom of a climb and be like, Whoa. all my blood in my Stuff. stomach and my legs yeah. being empty. So it's, mm-hmm. it's um, I, I, was, I was triggered by that. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Whoa. What the fuck is that? <laughs> like, yeah. That was a what the fuck moment to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. You want to do another one? You had one more, right? Um, and we should do these rapid fire. Let's do these rapid fire ones. Okay. And then I forget what my third one was that we were talking about. He was an American mountain biker. Oh, um, yeah. So actually, I'll, I'll play the video clip. I, I don't want actually want to mention who the writer was because I don't, I don't know them. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's anything that they did. But there was, there was a little thing on Instagram that came up for a while. It was like a sound bite. Um, that people then laid their own like video over and it was supposed to be like inspiring. Mm. Um, and I've done quite a lot of thinking on, you know, alpha culture in sport. Um, I actually don't think the alpha personality serves anyone in anything maybe outside of war. <laughs> um, but that's just it. At the moment, a lot of people don't have war. 
Um, some do. Well, some do. Yeah, some do. To be I clear, I think a lot of people right now. But yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, we're getting closer to that in, in different fronts. But mm. I think, um, you know, a lot of the time people think that the most powerful person in the room is the one that's projecting it the most. Mm. Or the way to actually build self-confidence is to layer on an alpha personality, even if that's 100% not their personality type or their archetype or their emotional color or spectrum, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but there was this soundbite that people were layering their like inspirational sports videos over and, and I'll play it for you. Um, and then we can break it down if, okay. if we get there. Um, and now I've lost it. So we might have to, <laughs> we might have to edit, edit this edit one it. out. <laughs> Let me just find this again. <laughs> results. Here we go. There it is. All right. Um, All right. Okay. Now we can so take two. Here. So this take is two. this is the soundbite. Um, and I think before I even say anything, you will all find your own judgment on this. Um, but people's intention is to use this as a way to actually motivate people mm -hmm. to be better athletes. And I actually think that, that might be incorrect. So here it is. No results. Keep working. Bad results. Keep working. Great results. Keep the fuck working. Consistency is the key. Right. So your thoughts. Keep working. No, so it's like no results. No results. Keep working. Great results. Keep working. It's it, the answer is always the same. Um, and when you told me about that initially, my my first reaction was paradoxically kind of almost the opposite. Um, when I'm coaching athletes and how they perceive themselves in races, you and I had part of this conversation today. The there are a few moments to act in a race, right? And for me, when you're in a clear state, when you're, I'm using this as a parallel analogy to what you just played, when you're in a clear state, meaning you're not racing from a perspective of fear or need, right? Anytime you go into a race and you're needy or fearful, you almost always make horrible decisions. You eat too much or you don't eat enough, right? Because you're convinced if you eat too much, you're going to be heavy. So you don't eat enough and then you bonk or you eat not nearly enough, uh, you run out of energy or you eat too much at the wrong moment, then you're stuffed, etc. And it goes on and on and on. So when you're in a race and you're, you're in a, a centered place, then you can make decisions that are a blend of analytical thought, left brain thought and instinct, right? Gut. And the bridge of those two areas is the heart. And that's the spear of intent. So you feel it. It's like a lightning bolt. Like you, you know, at that moment, you're like, at the time is to go is right now. And you can think it logically, but you can also feel it in your gut and you just go whack and you act. However, that moment is, we'll put that on a shelf. Most of the time in racing, you're having one of two experiences. You're either feeling really good or you're feeling really bad. <laughs> you're feeling really bad. You're hanging on for dear life and you're you're surviving on every climb or you're doing everything you can to go fast or stay in the group or survive the crosswind or whatever moment is happening. And in those moments, you weather the storm, you eat regularly, you drink regularly, right? Basically what I'm saying is during a moment of, of difficulty, you weather the storm, you do what's smart. You don't slam a ton of food because if it's really hard and you're feeling bad and you eat way too much, what's going to happen? You're going to stuff your system. You're, all your blood's going to go to your gut and out of your legs. Your, car, your, your vascular system is constantly doing a balancing act in racing between those two needs. 
So you can't overdo one or the other, right? You got to keep fueled and you have to keep blood in the legs. So if you're having a moment of difficulty, you eat, you continually drink some and you eat some and you weather the storm and wait for a shift in energy or a change in the way the race is playing out. Sometimes then the pace backs off and you are recovered. And then because you've been eating and drinking, now you're like, okay, I can, now I can respond or I can go, I can recover for this bit. And then the next chapter starts and you're okay. And the tide can turn. It happens. If you're in a really dark place, then sometimes you're screwed. But if you're smart, my point is if you're smart and you economize, you can turn it around and you can salvage a good result sometimes. Conversely, if you're feeling amazing, my advice is the same. Eat a little bit, bit drink a little bit, and then you're waiting for the lightning bolt. But your tactic is fundamentally the same. And this is how I feel about that video. It's like, this is just pop culture, us weekly shit advice. Like smash the fuck out of everything. It's CrossFit, like, lift faster, yeah. run faster, pull faster. I, I get I get really fatigued by just like I'm listen, sorry, but I just fell asleep. Like I get fatigued listening to that. Like, yeah, and it makes me like think, yeah. fuck, why am I, why do I do anything like? So if if you ask the question like, why do I race bikes? Because I enjoy racing bikes. Do I like winning? I fucking love winning, right? Yep, of course. <laughs> like, I fucking love winning. We all love the feeling of winning. It's like it's all of a sudden it's a realization that the work that you've put in mm. has sort of gotten you to a place that you're like, hey, that went really well. But it's not all about winning. Mm. Um, but that also means that like, if, if, if you think winning is everything, it means that everything except winning is shit. failure and it's a shit and mm. you're shit yeah. and it sort of can crush you. And statistically speaking, you're not going to win many bike races in your career. Right? Eddie Merckx, yeah, had the best, the best ratio of all times and he was still way behind most sports teams. Right, <laughs> right, right. And sports teams that yeah. like probably get like the lowest on the ladder still win more percentage than, wise yeah. more than any mug. Right, cycling, not, you're, it's one against a hundred people or whatever your like, field size. With good losers. Yeah. With maybe yeah. the best losers of any sport in the world. Mm -hmm. But language like this and rhetoric like this and actually thinking about doing it all as like alpha dog, I actually think misses the point a little bit. So if I was to rejig those wording, mm -hmm. I would go along the lines of this. It's like bad results, accept it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like if you're getting hit by a massive baseball bat in an event, that hurts. Yeah. So why would you add another baseball bat onto yourself, which is work hard? <laughs> it's like, right. well, I, I did work hard in mm. the race. Mm. It didn't go to plan. So maybe I have to accept it and then turn that into how do I think now? figure it out like how do i instead of using alpha go energy that didn't work in the race because mm. it's not like you didn't throw down as hard as you could mm -hmm. how do i now think about how i can do this smarter mm. or like the training i did was really hard maybe that was the problem actually how do i think smarter about this how do i actually involve more of my overall abilities and not just the ones which is just the fight or flight. Mm. It's like, how, actually, how do I turn this maybe even into a spiritual and personal growth here? Okay. The next step here is good results. Work harder. Mm. Good results sort of sit somewhere in the middle. It's like, hey, good results. Don't forget to also rationalize that that is a good thing. Good results doesn't mean 
it's just good and it doesn't mean it's bad and it doesn't mean great like putting those into like three very sort of like black white and gray like gray is not a bad thing if we're going to use the sort of colors here i think the thing with good is to say that hey i'm on a good trajectory i should celebrate and give thanks to everything that i've learned since i had poor results mm. and it's to say that well i still aspire to do more which every athlete or adult <laughs> should do is that you want to do better if you can but it's also to still use some of the tools that you learned earlier on which is to say stink and consume and grow and acknowledge that you've actually come a certain distance mm. and then great results should not be keep fucking working once you're at great results the amount of athletes i've seen get to an amazing level of fitness and then all of a sudden say well now i can train even harder i've seen that and put themselves into mm. an absolute fucking hole which leads directly straight back to poor results keep fucking working mm. it's like you're missing the point if you're at great results Take a moment and just fucking appreciate that. Mm. You know, I, I remember like I, I won a stage of Tour Oman and I was like really stoked after winning it. I'd, I'd been chasing a win there for like three seasons and come really close to good results. Mm -hmm. I didn't get down on the fact that I didn't win stages there. I just wanted it and I kept, I kept thinking about how I could do it better. And finally, the stage that I actually won, I used the thinking. Mm. And I contacted Fabian Cancellara because I saw him win it. I said, dude, how did you open up that sprint? Mm. He was like, I did it like this. And that's how I did it. And I won the freaking stage. So it was like, okay, now this is amazing. And I was elated and I was so happy and I was enjoying it. And people actually tried to take the wind out of myself. And they were like, dude, you overdid it a little bit. You didn't win the world championships. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I just won a bike race. You yeah. know, like yeah. I just had a great result. I don't need to keep working fucking harder. I need to, first of all, hit pause in the working harder and just enjoy the fact that I've worked so hard for so long mm -hmm. and just enjoy this moment because that's, what life should be about is it, it shouldn't just be this constant grind whether you're doing shit, good, or great. Yeah. There should be points where you just enjoy that. Mm. And inversely, when you're having bad results, accept it because there's some beauty in just saying, okay, that's how it is. Mm. You know, this is where I'm at right now. There's other people that are really good and I can learn from them. And that's an opportunity to grow. Um, the end part of this is to say consistency is key. It's like, well, yeah, consistency is key, but I think what you do within that consistency is not all linear. It's not one thing. It's not right. just keep fucking working. You don't work, you don't ride 100K a day, right? That's not how training works. That's not consistency right. either because yeah. you're just going to be going consistently worse yeah. at a certain yeah. point, and yeah. you're certainly not going to get consistently better. But there are people who think that way, for sure. I, for me, this is just a child's perspective, honestly. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to anyone who embraces this, but it's a really 50,000 foot view of athletics. It doesn't have any depth of understanding. It doesn't have any nuance to it, right? It's just like work harder all the time. Uh, cool. Do you want to say something with meaning or do we want to just talk at the level of a sixth grader? Because that's what this is. So I, I think anyone who understands athletics at a complex level at all will see that you have to vary your intensity. You have to approach things intelligently. For someone who's a cyclist who races... Now people race less, but when I was a pro in the U.S., people race 60, 70, 80 times a year, sometimes more. 
Like you have to be very intelligent about how you manage your energy during that type of season. You have to be really smart about how you time your fitness. You can't just train hard all the freaking time. Now, the rider who used this uh, example in the Instagram feed you followed was a uh, mountain biker. So granted, their competitive season is a little different. It's not a road season. Road season, you can race 70 times a year, right? 19, maybe. Yeah, used to be 90. Used to be 90. 80. Now right. it's probably 70. Now it's probably 70. But but mountain bikers race a lot less, obviously, right? And some of that is because they're not in a peloton. So basically, every race is more or less like a time trial. So it's more intense in some ways. But also the type of racing they do, the calendar, I think, is less populated in general, especially for someone who's chasing World Cups, that kind of thing, or Nation Cups. But... So their, their schedule is a little different, but you still have to be even arguably more tactical on how you apply yourself for those types of events, right? I mean, in a way, almost every Nations Cup is probably close to a peak event because the way the point systems work now, everything builds. You qualify your start position at Worlds based on your Nations Cups and, and Pan Am games or Pan Am championships, depending on the year. And then you qualify for Worlds and then that Worlds qualification determines Olympic qualification. So it's all... And sometimes that goes two years back. So it's you make a spot on the Olympic team through consistency. So we can see the logic that they have in this type of David Goggins, you know, broken record bullshit. But on the other hand, you also, if you're going to be a discerning and intelligent athlete, we need to look deeper than this. So uh, for me, it just is, it's like a superficial yawn to see that stuff, you know, like I'm not inspired by it. I understand the logic that people are using when they do that. It's like, yeah, let's get some, let's go. It's that kind of motivational talk. And I, to me, it just puts me to sleep. I'm not interested in that discussion, right? I'm far more interested in watching someone instead of just bludging themselves relentlessly and then randomly hit good events because they showed up to a race, not completely fucked. I'm far more interested in an athlete who has surgical and tactical precision in their training and actual intelligence and in how they apply themselves to their craft. Like that's, that's like the, for anyone that knew of him and how he did it, Simon Gerrans mm. was, I think, maybe the most strategic sniper of mm. big races of mm. all time. Mm. Um, and, and he was somebody that I, I started to realize that had moments of poor form, but strategically. Yeah. And he didn't try to bash his head into a wall if things weren't going well at that point. Right. He thought about it and, and he was, like you said, he was a sniper. You know, he was sitting there patiently waiting for the <coughs> shot. And all of a sudden when that target was there, you know, he had his gun ready to, to, to do fire on thing. that target. Yeah. Most of the times he hit it. Mm. And, you know, that made him actually almost more of a scarier person mm. than somebody that's sort of just like consistently mm. there grinding and annoying and mm. maybe they're good at it's like, no one ever knew with Simon, but when he was on his day, he was formidable. Mm. Um, but in the end, it, he had a career that looked consistent mm. because his Palmares over all of those years hit so many of these enormous yeah. goals. Um, but he, he was somebody that I think had so much emotional intelligence in the shit results and the good results and then the great results. And it was also nice to see someone really enjoy those big results as well. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's, the, that's the key to, um, I think, any athletic pursuit is to keep everything sort of with, within the scope of, yeah. of why you're doing it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't want to be in cycling to make myself feel depressed and pissed off with 
how things well, are going, that there can be moments where you're annoyed at how things went. Of but, course. But again, you have to start thinking That's about that and rationalizing. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the keep working fucking harder alpha thing, this is not an alpha dog sport. This mm -hmm. is maybe an, a beta plus at, <laughs> at worst, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, these people who subscribe to this belief system are, in my experience, more than likely playing out a belief system that was programmed into them at a young age. This is what happens. You are told or you learn that the way to, uh, what is an addiction? An addiction is any behavior that's repeated that does not give you a desired result. So you can argue that if someone wins bike races all the time and they're addicted to it, that's okay. But nobody wins bike races all the time. <laughs> so when you have an addiction, this, this is the outcome. And how do we become addicted? We're, we're fulfilling a soul gap. We're, we're plugging the hole in our soul. We're looking for safe love. That's what we're looking for. We're searching for safe love through our addictions. So when you see someone who bludgeons themselves to death in sports at the point, at the great expense of their own physical health or mental well-being, this is just a person who actually is looking for safe love from someone. And they're probably looking for it from a, a parental figure in many cases, not all, but in many cases, right? I mean, look at freaking Lance, man. Like dad left his mom when he was young or stepdad, dad, I don't know. Tells the story, some father figure left his mom and was an asshole. And he just, that just pissed him off. So he decided to go shit all over the entire world and win all these bike races as a result. Now, his body and his doping choices supported the fact that he could go bludgeon himself relentlessly for years and years of his professional career and go kick everybody's ass and be the ultimate alpha male asshole, right? Good for you, buddy. And you pretty much still that same person today, from my understanding. I don't hang out with him, so I don't know for sure, but it seems like it. So, okay, cool. Like, if that's your path and you're still pissed off at your dad and you went out and conquered the whole world to prove to your dad that you're fucking better than him and he's a dick and that's your life mission. What does that say about like, what kind of ripples are you making in this pond? How many people did you really inspire? I mean, and the sad part of that trajectory and that arc is that he had so much power at that point. He actually had the power to do a lot of good through his foundation and inspiration of young racers. I mean, he moved the dial on U.S. cycling more than anyone easily. Oh, and, like, and Australian cycling? Yeah, there are waves of people around the world who fell in love with that guy because he was such a badass until it all came crashing down on Oprah for those who didn't know to that point, which anyone in the sport knew long before that, of course. But it was all just sad. But when you learn the motivations of why he did that, I, the unfortunate truth is that most of the athletes who are really driven like that, they're driven by demons. They're driven by demons. I hate to say that because I don't want to, I don't want to crash anyone's star. You know, I don't want to, I'm not here to kill anyone's hero, but we have to understand why people go to these extreme lengths in their, in their lives. And look, I was a professional athlete. So by definition, I couldn't talk about this problem authentically if I didn't have my own demons to slay in my own sport. So I'm not, this isn't me pointing the finger at other people and trying to be uh, holier than thou. I've gone through my own process in this journey. And I'm here where I am because of my own specific reasons. Maybe I'll talk about that in some other pod. But anyway, so so that's that. That's that. Speed round. Speed round. What do we got? You're only as good as your last race. So these are like expressions that these are, let's, you hear all the time in cycling, and people they make you want to go like this. 
But I mean, people also flash these out like all the time. Yeah. You know, it's colloquialism. It's a platitude. But sports platitude. But we'll call this section sports. But platitude. where do we do we see any truth to these comments? So okay. Like, you're only as good as you are. Yeah, I mean, sure. In the world of sponsorship and acclaim, that's true. In contracts, that's true. Like JV used to say, you either better win like the first race of the season or like one the week before contract deadline. Those are the, if you're on the bubble as a racer, because you win the first race of the year, everybody always remembers who wins the first big race of the year. Like whatever that is. Satin Remo. Yeah, right. They always remember that. Like, oh yeah, that was amazing. Right? Um, in the US would be like Redlands would be the tiny little equivalent you win redland stage race but then you win bisbee or well or um some of the other races in between there and it's like yeah that was cool but the season was already kind of going for a month and a half at that point or whatever so it was important to you in that moment but then when everyone looked back in august and they were trying to figure out who to sign for next year it's like but that guy won redlands wow that was an amazing ride so there's some truth to that uh but i think that comparative mindset and uh, more poignantly the internal comparison that riders make with their own self-worth and their race resume, this is the problem, right? And it's inherent in the sport of cycling. It's, it's a big challenge to divorce yourself, your own self-worth as a human from your FTP and your Palmares. I mean, I've, I've said this many times, but I, I used to find like a real discord within myself when we'd go up onto the, the stage for a new rider presentation mm. and it would be, you know, for myself, it was like, you know, multiple time Japan Cup winner, you know, Sun Tour winner, Tour of the Stage of Burgos, Oman, blah, 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 Nathan Haas. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why didn't Nathan Haas come before the results? Why is it always the results, mm. the writer's name? Mm. And then you're standing next to someone else and like, blah, 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 blah. Tour blah, of Lombardia, yeah. this and that, this and that. And it's Dan Martin. Mm -hmm. So instantly you're sitting next to Dan Martin, who you consider one of your peers. And then all of a sudden it's just been like cast out that this guy's just better than you. But, but interestingly, again, his name came after the results, which means that Dan Martin as the person is less important than all the in the conversation than all the shit that he's done on the bike, which was in mm. the past, mm. which isn't even who he is anymore because the person he is on the stage is totally who he is right now. Yeah. And that doesn't actually, I mean, past results and not necessarily an indication of future gains future gains right so it's this is not fdi and fdic insured so it's this athlete <laughs> right. right so for me there was always this discord and like you're only as good as your last race it's like well that means in cycling like most of the time you're a piece of shit Talk, because you're you're not winning races and then week. it means you're only valued mm -hmm. probably for one day mm -hmm. every few hundred because then the next day you're probably not going to win again right for me, this comment is the same as, you know, shit results train harder, good results train hard. It's the same mentality. Yeah, it's just it's David, childish. David Goggins' childish bullshit. Yeah, but I, but I see through that one. But I see there's there's a grain of truth in it. It's um, And it's an unfortunate grain of truth. It's sort of the package deal you get when you sign up for athletics. Just like when you, you know, when you fly halfway across the world to do a bike race and then you suck, you're like, I just flew Damn. halfway across the world to <laughs> do a bike race and I sucked. And that, that's been me. That's been anyone who's chased the sport long enough. Yeah. That shit happens. So, yeah. Um, Next. Okay. This one, this, this one sparked me a couple months ago because <laughs> I just like, I had, I had to just like breathe oh a little bit inside and just not, not say anything assholic because 
I just finished a ride in summer and it was like a bazillion degrees. Yeah. I've been out in the heat for way too long. I was like, right, if, I, if, if any part of the next part of my day is going to be productive, I, I need to go get a gelato. Like yeah. that, that was just like, you know, the first thought that came into my mind. So I'm like in my bike kit, mm -hmm. beautiful bikes just outside this like gelato store. Go in, I'm like, yeah, I'm going for strawberry sorbet or you know, whatever it was that I ended up getting. And I walk out and I've got this gelato and like some cyclo tourist guy comes past me <laughs> and he sees he me called it out. and he sort of giggles and he's like, oh, don't they say eating's cheating? <laughs> and I wanted to throw this thing at him, right? Because I'm like, you just ruined my treat, pal. Like, what? <laughs> like, you know, it was sort of just thing of like, you know, what are you even talking about? How eating is cheating. It's yep. just like, yep. yeah, I'm food doping right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? Like, the fuck are you talking about? Sugar. It was just like, ah. The new Epo. Um, but yeah, I think there's like, there's this horrible thing in cycling, which is like fat shaming. Um, and uh, It's pervasive in the sport. And um, I've got uh, a friend of mine um, who's, our friendship is growing. He's, he's a new friend, but he's, he's turning into a really lovely friend of mine. And, um, he has a very full life in his like endeavors. His dad, um, he's a film producer, very successful, has to work really hard, you know, has a family, has also had his past, has his demons. He's got all these things, but he loves sport and he loves cycling. He lives in a place where he's training with professional cyclists and he's already comparing himself physically to professional cyclists, but um, he, he struggles with the fact that you know, he can't be at the weight that he was before he was a dad, before he took on all these responsibilities and before he started riding with professional cyclists where the comparative mindset is really not just, right? Because yeah. it's not healthy to be at 4% body fat. It's definitely not healthy to be at 4% body Wait, fat. Phil Gaiman is not the archetype of athletic perfection? I mean, if you look at... <laughs> no, I don't think the Greeks would have made a statue of Phil Gaiman. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Love you, dude. But yeah, <laughs> I think you'll agree. Um, but uh, Phil can make fun of himself. He'll get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like this thing that I find is, is is like a horrible, horrible element of cycling, which is this like food shame, and this this sort of thing where it's like, you know, the size of somebody also represents you know a portion of who they are, um, or, or or they can look at themselves and feel like that they don't belong and. This is one of the things in cycling that I feel is where certain factions of cycling has gone so far astray. Mm. Some factions have gone the other way, which is to say, like, everyone is included in this. It doesn't really matter. As long as you're doing the thing, mm. you're part of the tribe. Mm -hmm. You don't have to look a certain way. And, and, and this is something that I would like to just quickly get off my chest is mm. if you're overweight, you're let's right. go for a bike ride. Right. Yeah, you're riding a bike and you're having fun. This is what Phil said. This is, I'm quoting Phil. He said, if you're riding a bike and you're having fun, you're doing it right. Right. So That's excellent. Thank you, yeah. Skinny Phil. Yes. You're also doing it right. You're having a great time. Right. But not everyone has to look like Phil Guyman. Not everyone wants to look like Phil Guyman. Not everyone's partner finds that attractive. Some people yeah. love a dad bod, right? <laughs> Some people love a dad bod. And I'll, this pisses me off too when I hear people say like, I'm a bigger guy. I can't climb. Dude, do you know that fucking Miguel Enderin won the Tour de France five times? I bust this out all the time. How much did Miguel Enderin weigh? He was like 180 pounds. Was that in KG? That's like 
79 kg. That's enough. Not, right? It's right? enough to say that he wasn't. He was a prop. He was like 6'3". Right. Like, he's a big dude. He wasn't it's, Jonas Fingergaard. It's watts per kilo. You don't have to be an emaciated skeleton human to right. win a bike race or to be or to participate in the cycling sport or enjoy it. Right? It's not only about going uphill fast. And even if it is, remember, watts per kilo looks at kilograms, which is not body composition. Those are two different things. Kilograms and body composition are not equal. And, you know, for, for that, you know, you might see someone that's huge on a bike, but it turns out that they're the best in the world at their sport. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a friend of mine, Hannes O'Brien, he won the Henley Classic um, in, you know, the, the heavyweight or, you know, I wouldn't call them overweight. Clydesdale? <laughs> um, but there's two classes yeah. in rowing. There's heavyweight, there's lightweight. Yeah, it's a heavyweight, which means actually the bigger you are, the more advantage you have. There's in rowing, yeah. In rowing, yeah, so that's why everyone wants to top out at the top end of lightweight. lightweight. Yeah, you don't want to be the skinniest guy in lightweight. You actually want to be bringing. And you don't want to be the skinny guy in heavyweight either. Right, get crushed. Yeah, right. he was like a beast when he was on a bike. Like I mean, I appreciated his physicality because I, I love the aesthetic of people that do other sports, and I was like, wow, this guy is super strong, but he didn't yep. look like a cyclist. Right. Right. But he was one of the best rowers in his generation. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things that is just like, don't judge the book by its cover. Mm -hmm. um, and also, we are, if we are a tribe, a tribe should take care of each other. Yeah. So if somebody is, you know, overweight and they're cycling, mm -hmm. you certainly shouldn't be shaming them. <laughs> Yeah, that's the last thing that the culture of cycling should do. So this whole eating is cheating. Any comment on somebody's, first of all, appearance mm. is wrong, mm. unless they ask for honest advice, <laughs> and then you should be constructive about it. I'll push back on that a little bit, honestly. I, I think that the danger of going too far with that mindset is that everything is permitted, <clears throat> and we have people who feel justified in letting their health be what's to be honest, complete shit. So they're, they're really overweight. And if you try to have a conversation with them about that or call them out, now, if you do it in a way that's rude or demeaning, that's one thing. But if you're honestly just saying like, Hey man, you're 40 pounds overweight, that's not healthy. And they're like, what the fuck? You're fat shaming me. This is a problem for me because honestly, like let's like, there's the other side of it. And I'm just pointing this out. Like you can be too skinny and eating is cheating is a thing, right? Um, that's a thing, but also like allowing people to be plus, plus, plus sized and just calling it normal. That's not okay either. Like it's the same if someone walked up to me with horrendous skin or halitosis or dark circles under their eyes because they hadn't slept in weeks or at your side, you get your dad, you don't count, <laughs> but, or, uh, you know, puffy inflamed skin or poor function, like they couldn't balance when they walked, for example, or they're overweight. These are all the same thing to me. And this is you not taking adult responsibility for the, your souls in, in inhabiting your, of your body, right? This is your biological spacesuit. You have to love this thing. This is the one you get in this round. Fucking take care of it. You take care of your car, you wash your car and wax your car, but you're overweight. What the fuck? Like what the actual fuck? That's my WTF for the day. So I, sorry, I just had to to point out, like, I think the danger of the permissive culture, like it's one thing for us to be 
enlightened and woke and whatever terms that we'll use that have all this charge to them right now. Right? It's one thing to, you know, but the day, recognize but the day, people who have been who have been um, persecuted and oppressed, right? That's one thing. And it's it's one thing to fat shame someone. I'm, I'm not advocating for that. We also have to be honest with each other and be like, look, brother, look, sister, I see that you're overweight. How can I help you? Like, it's okay to have honest communication, honest conversation with people. I, I think, think it's important. Um, without saying I agree or disagree, just the, the danger though of a comment like eating is cheating or this general mindset yes. in cycling is yes. that the bike is a vehicle towards better health. And you're excluding a certain and user group or making them feel like it's not that You might make yeah. someone not feel welcome enough to actually totally enter agree. this world to yeah. actually do something that they might find benefit from. I agree. So there's a really dangerous line there. And yep. then yep. the other side of that is people that go too far the other way mm. and that they think that dieting is actually an innate part of this sport. Yes. And how many people really need to lose that last 400 grams to win the Tour de France? Because that's where it might actually matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's like four or five of them, right? Yeah. So the obsessive the, mindset that pervades cycling, even at the amateur level, right? Is so automatic. this culture can actually draw people in that have a predisposition to that kind of way of thinking, and, and actually and justify it, justify or, their yeah, way of thinking, and lines. say, "This is this is my tribe. This is where I belong." You're right, and that's just as dangerous. You're right. If yeah. not, if not, if arguably not more. more dangerous. Yeah, you're right. You're right because it's exclusionary and um, feeding the demon for some people. Right. So eating is cheating to me. That's mm -hmm. a what the yeah. actual fuck all we day suck. long. We suck at speed rounds, dude. We, yeah, that wasn't very fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's try to speed this one up. What's a what's? Oh my god. All what's are the same thing. What's a what's? Oh my god. <sighs> Chloe, what really, is for me? A what? What is a what? <laughs> It's the amount of energy required to heat one cube of water. One cubic centimeter of water by one degree. Who cares? Like, what's the expression about? It's saying that if you have the power, you're going to win the race. And if you don't have the power, you won't win the race. And this is, here's, I'll lay this out real simple. I'll keep this one speed round. This is fucking bullshit. The reason we're not marathon runners and we don't all race on Swift is because watts are not watts. Because in, on the actual race day, it's not just your fucking engine. Cycling is not a blunt force trauma sport, okay? It's not a marathon. It's not just about power. We don't just have to work harder. You do not just have to work harder all the time. You have to go around corners and put on a rain jacket without taking yourself out and learn how to fucking need a gel at the right time and learn how to ride in a Peloton and learn how to follow someone's wheel aerodynamically. Slipstream, in a sprint, on, in a lead out, 65 like, an hour. The, the list of skills you have to have to navigate bunny hopping railroad tracks and you know, holding the bike upright when it's both wheels are avoiding sliding, crash. avoiding crashes, having a sixth sense to avoid crashes in Pelotons, not just getting lucky. You ever notice that people eat shit all the time? Then there are people who eat shit all the time and it's catastrophic. And then there are people who just never seem to crash. Like, what's that all about? It's not because Watts are Watts. I'll fucking tell you that much. Damn it. It was way more than three sentences. Yeah. Um, but also, but also like the, the other thing too is like, I, I used to laugh on this when, you know, teams were selecting teams to go to big races. And I'd be like, we need to see a power test of one minute, five minutes, yeah. 20 minutes. And I basically cracked the, the cheat sheet. And like, I used to laugh about this was like, if I wanted to do an insane five minute power, I could either just start at the amount of watts that I wanted to do and like hope it would hang on for dear life, hang on for dear life. Or let's just say 500 was my goal. 
That number was sometimes bigger, sometimes it was less. But let's say it was 500. The first two minutes of a 500 watt You heard Nathan right. He actually could do 500 watts for five minutes, just to let you know. Um, it was more Colby, come on. Awesome. <laughs> that was on your average day. <laughs> um, if I was trying aiming for 500 to get selection for a race where five minutes of 500 was apparently like a key performance indicator, KPIs, which I also think is just like, fucking, it's like a wank sheet in cycling. Like this is coaches trying to justify their This work is my new symbol for intellectual masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> I would start my first two minutes at like 400. Yeah. And just be sitting there, not even hurting yet. Yeah, I'm a very anaerobic rider, which means I could do two minutes crazy hard, three minutes moderately crazy hard, or one minute like absolutely spastic bombastic. Yeah. But if I tried to do five minutes, it was like you know, it was hard to predict where I would actually land. But if I did the first two minutes at 400. The third minute at 450, again, I haven't even really gone above. Are you guys paying attention to this pacing strategy? This is gold. Just take the same numbers and deflate them for you and try it in your efforts. See what happens. And then... Or don't deflate them the, if you can do them. The fourth minute, I would basically aim to do the hardest two minutes I could do whilst lifting for the last 30 seconds. So this would be at like 650 or 700 or 750 at the end. Mm -hmm. And I would come out with like a 520 or a 530. Yep. average yep coaches would just go holy shit nathan did a 530 average for five minutes not being smart enough to actually look at the guy he's going to the odd ends yeah and sometimes that would be with really shit form right but i would still get my spot at the odd end right and other times you go crush it i would go crush it what's and not what's just watts because you can do watts. five minutes at this amount doesn't mean you can do that. Watts or not watts. That also being said is watts are made up of several components on a bike. Mm -hmm. One is torque and one is cadence. Mm -hmm. You can do lots of torque or lots of cadence or, lots of or cadence. more of both. Or you can do watts. the horrible Eddie Merckx thing, which is, you know, yeah. do a big gear faster. Yeah. But this is another thing, which is like, you know, there are certain conditions in cycling where like I struggled to put out a big sprint above 60K an hour. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do my highest sprint at that. If a sprint started at like 25 or 30, like on an incline, mm -hmm. I was one of the fastest guys in the world. Yep. Doing the same amount of power it would take to win a flatland sprint, but I could not produce a sprint. Different conditions, different physics. But one of the things that I always hated with coaches in teams being like, well, Nathan, you can do 1,600, 1,700 watts in a sprint. You've got to be the sprinter for today. And I'm like, it's completely flat. Yeah. We're going to be coming in at 65, 70K an hour. Different well, bigger rider. gear. It's like, it's, that's just not how it works. Right. Like, I can't accelerate from high speed. I can accelerate a shitload mm -hmm. from 30K an hour yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah. So for me, watts are not watts. And... It's, it, it takes so much more deeper looking at it. Like if you, if you want to like basically train your basics, what's are a good guide? Of course. They're a good guide. A very useful metric. Um, but what's <laughs> more important, I don't think what's are the biggest key performance indicator. The biggest key performance indicator, I would actually say, and, and I had this conversation once with um, a sports scientist that was uh, – a PhD scientist on one of our teams that had never been part of cycling that thought they'd cracked the code because, you know, they were scientists, they knew numbers. numbers. We can basically come in and bunny ball cycling. 
Um, I'd had inarguably my best season to date up until May. I was still ranked top 10 in the world tour at that point. It was just before the Giro. And this sports scientist said to me, and I was always meant to go to the Giro. Mm. Um, I'd basically crushed every single goal of the season up until that point, And I was still feeling good, which is the biggest key performance indicators. Yes. Like, hey, I still feel good mm-hmm. and I'm motivated. Yep. Um, which is another one. Um, and they said, Nathan, can you please send through your latest power files yeah. so we can decide whether or not to go to the Giro with you? And first of all, I looked at the Giro starting list. We were a team that was all the biggest riders were going to the Tour de France because we didn't have, mm. this was dimension data, we didn't have enough big leaders to go to every Grand Tour with a fully stacked team. So it was sort of like the Giro and the Vuelta were like, you have some good riders and you have some development riders. Mm-hmm. The Tour de France was like fully stacked and that was really hard to get into. Um, And I was still ranked top 10 in the world at this point and Mm. I decided to send through my Palmares from the season. And I said, these are my numbers. And they wrote back, Nathan, what the hell is this? And I was like, if you don't trust me at this point when I say I'm feeling good, think I'm on the wrong team. Mm. And I looped in um, Rolf Aldag, who was the like, performance director and he couldn't believe that i'd been asked to send a power file at that point because right. if one of your lead riders who's doing some wicked performances in races is also feeling good and saying they're ready to go he was Sack like the race. he was like why the fuck would you get into that rider's head and make them feel as if they have to prove themselves even more they've already done no. the proving um so what's a not what's what's can also be something that totally disenfranchises a rider mm. um, and some people are really good at training mm-hmm. and they suck at racing. Yeah. And some people are really shit at training and by God, are they good at bike I had a conversation with Jamie recently. He was talking about two different riders who were on his team and in, in the history of his team. And one rider who shall go unnamed, we'll call him Voldemort. He consistently had his best results every year for multiple years on the team in training, never on race day. Now he runs a coaching business and strangely, a lot of his riders are having the same outcome. Then there was another rider I compared him to who trained like shit, apparently, but never really did much in training. All his best PRs, all his best power performances were on race day. Which do you want? Do you want to perform well on in training and then go to races and fall to pieces? What does that say about the rider? It says they're extremely insecure and they're probably training harder than they should. Right? Global, like, helicopter view. Vice versa, you have the rider who underperforms in training and then goes to race day, and smashes all their PRs, you know that they're a real racer. They're a gamer. They're there to race and they perform on race day. Now, could that rider maybe benefit from some harder training? I don't know. I have to see. I don't know. I'm not his coach. I don't know. I don't know how hard he trains, but I would prefer rider B if I were a director over rider A. B, B. Well, I would also, races if I'm an athlete as well, I'd prefer to be the one that actually gets the outcome. That So this is the other long. meaning of watts or not watts. Like, People actually, like, people have asked me, like, what's your average watts during a race? Who the fuck cares? Like, it doesn't matter what your average power is during the race. Even in a time trial, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters on race day is what place you got. It's a bike race. You paid an entry fee, you pinned on a number, then you look at the results. That's what matters. The, the power and the TSS and that stuff is for retrospective rear view post-mortem diagnosis of what could we have done better? What did we learn from this event? Right? 
this is this is the information we use to move forward to say okay where were the shortcomings where are the strengths but what's can also lead to a what <laughs> like i remember what like <laughs> i remember it was actually on cofidis um you know, everything just automatically goes up to your phone now, which is great because I used to suck at uploading because I just didn't really love doing that side of training. You did suck at that. Um, that was my personality though. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just like, well, the work's in me just because yeah. it's on a computer doesn't mean it's now in me. It's like, in it's computer. The, the files are in there. It's so simple. <laughs> um, and anyway, this, this writer that like, I, I finished in the first group, didn't have the best day, mm. didn't have the best final of my life, but I was in the front group. This writer was in the second group. And I was thinking like, well, they should be pretty pissed off with that because like they're a climber and I'm not necessarily a climber, but I was in that front group for the finish and they weren't. And um, yeah. I know I say, don't use the comparative mindset, but you know, when you're in that environment, you can fairly be like, well, that's not right that that guy wasn't here. He, he had a bad performance today. Mm -hmm. And then they upload their file and they go, oh, dude, I did 6.2 watts per kilo for 20 <laughs> minutes on that climb today. And I look and I go, I did 5.6. How the fuck? Right? Like, what the fuck did you do wrong? Yep. Right. Like, yep. why, why, firstly, why weren't you in the front group if you mm -hmm. could do that? Mm -hmm. But second of all, why was I there and I did way less? Like yep. I'm a better bike racer than you because I got there with less. less so like more watts mm -hmm. is actually a what the fuck. The best riders can actually get there with less watts or get to the anaerobic part of the race, mm -hmm. which is where you win. You don't win a bike race with an, ana with an aerobic, aerobic engine. Very few bike races. Very, very few. Yeah. So it's like, hang on, let's think about this like for real. Watts are not the goal. <laughs> Watts are an outcome of what you're doing. And actually, what you should be focusing on in a bike race is how can I be here with no watts? This is one of the biggest poisons in our sport right now. One of the biggest misunderstandings. Watts are watts. They're not watts. Watts are not watts. Yeah. I don't what, know what they are. What's the watts. point? It's not watts. What's the <laughs> fucking... What the fuck? What? What? Sorry. Okay, last um, one. Speed, leads on real speed round. Leads on to a calorie is a calorie. Uh -huh. Well, actually, we we got it wrong before. We said what is a watt, and we said it's how we change the temperature of one cubic centimeter of water by one You're right. degree. That that's actually a that's calorie. a calorie. <laughs> so a calorie is a calorie. Not we, scientists. We can look at it in terms of its scientific definition. We can, but we can also look at it in terms a watt, of fuel for the body. One watt moves a crank arm one revolution in the fifty three eleven. That's what I'll go with as my definition. <laughs> Science. Right. <laughs> What's a what? <laughs> oh, so, people are going to fucking hate me for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. They don't have to hate me because I'm not pretending to be a scientist. I'm not pretending <laughs> either. I'm just not. Um, as sciencey as I am. A calorie is a calorie. Let's have it. Ugh. Okay. I really will do three sentences on this and then I'm done going to bed. A calorie is a calorie. No, a calorie is not a calorie. This is the logic that we think of food as being fuel. And food is not fuel. In the cycling world, it is, especially right now where we think of sugars and KJs and how many grams of carbs per hour. And I'm not here to say that's untrue, but a calorie is not a calorie. Meaning you don't go to... Even if you break it down one tiny little level further, you go from 
space view to high altitude jet fuel view, and you go from calorie as a calorie down to macronutrients. Is a cube of sugar the same as a cube of sweet potato? Even though each cube might have the same number of grams of carbohydrate? Is it the same also as a cube of Pop-Tart or honey? No, of course not. It's just a fucking ridiculous thing to say. It's, I mean, you could, I could make the argument that all four of these aphorisms are just childlike views. They're too superficial. They don't look with any sophistication or nuance or depth of understanding. So when we have to understand what a calorie is, we understand the energetic impact of food on the body. Food is either containing a large amount of vital life force or it contains fuck all for vital life force. So you want to eat dead food and call it calories and fuel, then you're going to need to eat more of it. Because really what you're doing is, this is going to piss off vegetarians and vegans, but you're consuming life force to sustain your own life force. Life is an act of consumption. We have to kill things in order to live. So if you want to fool yourself and go eat a bunch of plants, thinking that you're not killing anything, you're kind of actually being a dumbass because plants are alive. And if you don't think they have consciousness, there's like, 54 books out there that will explain otherwise. And actually a lot of science to explain this. And a lot of bugs that get killed in the cutting down of things. Like plants have life consciousness and life force. Are they less conscious than animals? Arguably, yes. But they're still consciousness. It's just a gradient. It's just a spectrum, right? So you must consume life force to live. You want to consume foods that are basically almost dead and have almost no life force, you're going to have to eat more of those foods. They're also going to be probably less nutrient dense in most cases, but it doesn't matter. I mean, this whole conversation is like a why bother because the science mind will have already turned this off and say, no, 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 that's not true. We can have cereals with fortified vitamins is just as good as organic food, but organic just costs more. What they don't get is there. That's a, that's a, a reaction which is based on a belief system that money should not be wasted on food because you believe that if you waste money on food, you're not going to have enough money and then it's a fear-based paradigm. In most cases, in my experience. So that's fine if people want to live that way. I have no problem with it. For me, you're going to spend the money one way or another. You're either going to spend it on high-quality food that's nutrient-dense now or you're going to buy your doctor a BMW later when you have some sort of health challenges from eating shit food your whole life. You're going to spend the money either way. You want to buy a, and you're going to spend it on prescription drugs, which is basically when we really boil it down, what is prescription drugs? It's indentured servitude. That's what it is. When you do what you're told, like a good little boy and girl, you get sick and then the savior is you go to the doctor and then they hand you a little white piece of paper and then you go to the pharmacy every month for the rest of your life and you pay them a stipend to keep you alive. So again, not taking adult responsibility for your choices in this world. That was way more than three senses again. Fuck, I suck at spooder. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you have a deeper understanding on all of these things, or at least a more extreme viewpoint on <laughs> all of these things. Doesn't mean extreme is wrong. Um, but, but for me, it's like the... The, the quality of things to me is 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 what matters. It's um, that's it. It's you know if you if you buy eggs from 
a essentially an egg factory where chickens are shitting out of a cage. They're covered in shit. <laughs> um, you know, they're fed horrible things. They're chock full of antibiotics for uh, prophylactic use in case they get sick. Um, yeah. Hormones to grow the chicken to bring them into fertility. You know, fertility drugs to make them lay more. That egg is not containing the same quality of, of course not, of egg yeah. as a chicken that's running around your garden eating grubs yeah. and eating your food leftovers and yeah. And I think <coughs> for me, it's like I, I heard a great um, explanation. It's like you know how how recently was your food um, part of the sun? Yeah. How much light is in your food? How much light is in your food? Yeah. And, and if, if, if the thing that you're eating was literally just out of light, you know, plants grow from light. Mm -hmm. Animals that eat plants, eat plants came from light. Yep. That's pretty recent. Yeah. But if you've got a box of cereal that says, you know, it has an expiration date of four years. Mm -hmm. And it's been on your shelf for six months already. There's not that much light left it's in a, that food it's anymore. It's dead food. Um, and we are also from light, you know, we, everything came from a big bang of light. Um, so, you know, why, why do we keep thinking that these foods are good for us, even if it comes from a thing or a health food store? You know, just because cookies came from a health food store doesn't mean that they're not the same thing as cookies mm -hmm. or, um, you know, less refined sugar. It's still sugar. I'm not yeah. saying I don't eat sugar. <laughs> I do. I eat lots of things on the bike um, that, you know, I feel I need to for my optimum performance. Mm. Um, and, and this is where it's a little bit hard. Sometimes you have to push that needle in one direction for performance. Mm. Um, but then when I'm off the bike, I try to eat you know, as healthily and as naturally and eat food with sun in it as much as possible. But yeah. a calorie is not a calorie. And um, you know, it, it's at least nice that people are starting to understand in, in many worlds that, you know, Fat in a food is not the same thing as fat on the body. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, this is a lipid in food. Mm -hmm. This is fat or adipose tissue. Um, there's a big journey from food fat turning into body fat. In fact, carbohydrate <laughs> takes a lot less work to turn into fat mm -hmm. than fat does into fat. Um, yep. Fat, we can't live without. We need it. Um, and, you know, same goes for cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Cholesterol is literally the first building block of any anabolic steroid that our body produces. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of food fashions, you know, the 70s, 80s taught us otherwise. And it's really nice to see that in certain parts of the world, especially in sport, we're starting to see that conversation is changing. Mm -hmm. um, so there are some good things too. But when it comes just to the fact that a calorie is a calorie, don't, don't be fooled. Yeah. And... Um, you're going to get unhealthy if all you eat is pizza. <laughs> it's nice to eat pizza sometimes, but it's not going to... I like pizza. It's not going to make you the healthiest. It's high-quality pizza. Yep. We killed it, dude. Yeah. We, we suck at speed round, but we got through the stuff. Um, I know a lot of people like to send you notes okay. in your, after your show. So yeah. maybe if there's any other colloquialisms in typing or other what-the-fuck that you would like yeah. to be bashed apart or challenged... <laughs> Send them Maybe to send them to Colby. <laughs> I, I probably won't have time to answer them, but <laughs> Colby will, and I would love to see what he says. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Good pod. Over and out. Epilogue.
to share a few brief thoughts about the inception and alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading, some of them taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers, a lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. And that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that things that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets. Of Even if we disagree, we ought to be able to, in most cases, shake hands and walk away. Because after all, this is sport we're talking about. And while sport is training for life, nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential. A path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard, no, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings.